Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 40. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, Richard Ryerson here. Welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you need to catch up on all your reading, Audible.com is a great resource. You can download over 100,000 different titles to your smartphone, to your tablet, take it on the go to work, exercising, wherever you need to catch up on your reading. Audiobooks is a great resource and a great solution. Make your smartphone smarter. Check out Audible.com and get started. You can a special offer for Dose of Leadership listeners. You can go to doseofleadership.com slash audible. You can go to my website and look in the menu and see Audible Trial up there as a selection. And you can download any audiobook that they have for free. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. Check out all the resources. I think you'll be convinced once you want to get caught up in your reading, audible.com will be a perfect solution for you. And if you haven't done so, go to iTunes. I'm also getting on, getting on Stitcher. I'm getting uh, approved this week with Stitcher. So look for me on there if you don't have iTunes. But uh, go out there, leave a review for me, and uh, leave a five-star review, hopefully, and uh, leave some comments. It helps with the rankings and the visibility. So again, enjoy the interview, and thanks for tuning in. Well, I'm so excited to have on the show Dr. Marshall Goldsmith. He's Leadership Gold. He's a million-selling author or editor of 32 books, including the New York Times and Wall Street Journal bestsellers Mojo and What You Got What Got You Here Won't Get You There, a Wall Street Journal number one business book and winner of the Harold Longman Award for Business Book of the Year. His books have been translated into 28 languages and have become bestsellers in 10 countries. His professional acknowledgments include Institute for Management Studies, a Lifetime Achievement Award, one of only two ever awarded American Management Association, 50 great thinkers and leaders who have influenced the field of management over the past 80 years. Business Week, 50 great leaders in America. Wall Street Journal, top 10 executive educators, four, five most respected executive coaches. And the list goes on and on. He even made the dose of leadership, top 20 leadership experts of 2013. Dr. Goldsmith, what an honor to have you on the show. How are you today? Doing great. Very happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, guys, you know, your, your accomplishments, I said your leadership gold. I mean, you are and have been around a long time talking, writing, and thinking about leadership. Talk, tell me about the beginning. How did you become so passionate about leadership? Well, you know, I, I met a man named Dr. Paul Hersey, a great expert in the world of leadership, the developer of the situational leadership concept. And after I got my Ph.D. from UCLA, he was kind enough to let me follow him around and kind of learn what he did, and that's how I started making the transition from a college professor to more of an executive educator, and then after that, I got involved in executive coaching, and since then, that's my work has been three things. One, I give talks or teach classes for business people, and then two, I coach executives, and three, I write and edit books and articles. What is it, you know, one of the things that I've been passionate about, or at least kind of, and I've been writing about and speaking about, is what I think is lacking is this what I call the lack of courageous authenticity. And I think when I, I look at leaders, we're always looking to trying to be this larger than life personality. But what's really needed, in my opinion, are these leaders that are, you know, they're bold, but they're humble at the same time. But most importantly, they're authentic with who they are and what they believe. What's your thoughts on that? 
Well, you know, it's very interesting you mentioned that. One of the people that I do volunteer coaching with is my friend Mark Tursick. Mark is the CEO of the Nature Conservancy, and I've known him for years, and he was just relaying an event that occurred in his life where he stood up in front of a large group of people very recently, talked about what he'd learned in terms of feedback on himself as a leader, the mistakes he'd made, things he tried to change, how he'd focused on trying to get better, and the impact that positive impact that good feedback had had on him and his life. And he got such positive feedback from all the participants because they really appreciated his authenticity, his willing to be human, he's not putting on a big show. And I wrote an article called Help Others Develop, Start With Yourself. The best thing any leader can do to help other people get better is let them watch you get better. And I think it's great that leaders publicly acknowledge that they're human beings and don't act like little gods. Yeah, I think that um, so often we feel that's a sign of weakness if we we expose our vulnerabilities, but it's not, is it? I wrote an article called Leadership is a Context Sport. If any of your listeners would like to get a copy, send me an email, marshall at marshallgoldsmith.com. I'll send them a copy of it, and Marshall has two L's. But in my research, the results are obvious. Leaders that get feedback, talk to people about what they learn in a very honest way, ask for input, listen in a non-judgmental way, and follow up on a regular basis, are invariably perceived not as less effective leaders, but as more effective leaders by the people around them. Yeah, what do you think is one of the biggest, I mean, you've, you've over the, the span of years, the 30 to 40 plus years you've been, you know, in this game, have you seen a transition or, is, or are they timeless? Are the problems always the same? Well, there are five new areas for leadership. That I did one book called Global Leadership, The Next Generation, and we ask, what are the differences in leadership between yesterday, tomorrow, and today? And as you mentioned, a lot of it is the same. I mean, there are classic elements of leadership like vision and communicating a vision and uh, developing people and uh, customers and innovation that will always be there. They'll be there a thousand years from today. Five elements came up as more important for the future than the past. The first element was called uh, global thinking. Historically, leaders have thought much more globally, uh, managing uh, a region, a district, an area, or uh, at the most, a country. Now, many leaders are going to need to think globally in terms of uh, suppliers, customers, partners. So global thinking is a big change. Second one related to global thinking is cross-cultural appreciation. Leaders are going to understand, need to understand how to communicate and work effectively across cultures. Uh, the third area that came up is a new area for leadership called technological savvy. The leader doesn't have to be a technologist, but new technologies play a huge role in everything and needs to understand how technology impacts his or her business. Uh, the fourth area was building alliances and partnerships. More and more leaders are going to be partner builders, alliance builders, not so much in the past where you might have run your own siloed business, but in the future. In the old days, for example, IBM had almost no partnerships or alliances, and today they're almost all partnerships and alliances. And then finally, uh, the final concept was called shared leadership. As Peter Drucker said, the leader of the past knew how to tell. The leader of the future will know how to ask. Most of us today need to manage knowledge workers, and the definition of a knowledge worker is they know more about what they're doing than their boss does. Well, when we manage people, we know more about what they're doing than we do. We can't just tell them what to do and how to do it. We have to ask, listen, and learn. So those are five qualities that would were perceived as being more important for the future than they were perhaps in the past. The other qualities were seen as 
more universal that transcended the past and the future. Say, what's that last point again? Say that. Shared leadership. Shared leadership. Knowing how to ask. Yeah, knowing how to ask as opposed to how to tell. How do we do that? What? How do? How do you? How do we break through that barrier of getting? I guess is it the courage to ask, or, or breaks down some of that humility to ask. Well, you know, I'm often asked a question: How do I convince leaders to do what I suggest? And the answer is, I don't. I only work with leaders of clear. I'm not in the convincing business. Yeah. So, per, yeah, personally, I don't try to convince anyone to do much of anything. Uh, the people I work with all get confidential feedback, all take important t- behavior to improve. They're all willing to apologize for their mistakes, follow up on a regular basis, and get measured. And, you know, if they don't, they want to do that. I don't work with them. In my coaching, I don't get paid if my clients don't get better. Yeah. So I have I have no interest in working with people who don't care, don't want to change. If someone said to me, prove to me this is all worthwhile, you know what I'd say? For you, it probably isn't. Yeah. It is all about letting go of the ego, right? How did did you ever, you know? I think all of us at some point, especially early on in the leadership game, we we battle, and maybe we, maybe it's a constant battle for some. But how do we get over that ego? Well, you know, I can't say a quick way to get over the ego is start getting paid for results, not time. Yeah, you get paid for results as a coach, you get over ego. Uh, and so, what happened in my coaching is a client I coached, I spent the the least amount of time with improved the most. The client I coached I spent the most amount of time with didn't improve at all. And I didn't get paid. So this is kind of humbling. I did a, a little chart on one dimension. It was called time spent with Marshall Goldsmith. And the second dimension was improvement. There seemed to be a negative correlation between spending time with me and getting better. So I thought, well, that's kind of a humbling chart. So I go talk to my client who improved the most. It was great to start with. Was the least amount of time with. His name was Alan Mulally. Alan is now CEO of Ford, CEO of the United States last year. He said, Alan, of all the people I coached, you improved the most. You were great to start with. I spent the least amount of time with. What should I learn about coaching from you? He said, to start with Marshall, don't make coaching about uh, you, make it about your customers. He said, your whole job is picking great customers. If you pick great customers, you win. You pick bad customers, you lose. And he said, my job isn't that different. I have to have great people. I don't build a car, design a car, sell a car. I have great people. They said, don't make coaching about yourself and your own ego. Make it about the great people you work with and how hard they work, how hard they try. These were wonderful lessons for me. You know, I learned in my job what I do is help winners. I'm not in the six-loser business. I'm in the help-winner business. So how long, How much is the... In the start, the beginning, it wasn't coaching. How how long did it take you to get into the coaching game? Oh, not too long. I mean, I was one of the first. It wasn't even called coaching back then, but I was one of the first people that did what was called customized three hundred sixty degree feedback. And I was working with the CEO many years ago, and he said, "I got this kid working for me, young, smart, dedicated, hardworking, driven to achieve, creative, entrepreneurial." And he said, "He's stubborn, know it all." He said, "It would be worth a fortune to me if I could change his behavior." So I heard the word fortune. I said, I like fortunes. Maybe I can help him. He said, I doubt it. I said, well, maybe I can help him. He said, I don't think so. That's when I came up with my idea. I said, I'll work with him for a year. If he gets better, pay me. If he doesn't get better, it's free. What did the CEO say? So that's how I got into coaching. Hmm. Do you think most leadership development programs, I don't know, I, you know, every year we have this annual survey where, where I work, and I don't see a lot of results from it. It seems like they evaluate a lot of um, – 
weird points that I don't think need to be evaluated. What's, what's your take on that? How, how do you get an effective evaluation on an individual or an organization for that matter? Well, one thing I'll talk about is employee engagement. Uh, I went to a presentation at the National Academy of Human Resources. And in this presentation, we talked about everything people are doing in the area of employee engagement. And I'm listening to this, and it was three hits of HR, and it was all positive. It was, you know, companies trying to do good things like training and recognition and appropriate pay. Zero was what the employees could do to engage themselves. So I'm listening to this, thinking you people are missing half the point. Half the point of employee engagement has nothing to do with the company, it has to do with the person. Then my daughter, uh, my daughter is Kelly Goldsmith. She's a graduate of Duke, and then she got a PhD from Yale, and she's on the faculty of the, um, of the Northwestern University Kellogg School of Management. So Kelly studies this stuff and says, you know, she said, everything being asked about employee engagement is passive, not act- active question. Mm-hmm. Passive question is, um, do you have meaningful work? An active question is, did you do your best to create meaningful work? A passive question is, um, are you fully engaged? An active question is, did you do your best to become engaged? Well, we started doing research where we asked people six active questions every day for two weeks after they go to our training program. It's amazing the impact it has when you ask people these questions. And the six questions all begin with, did you do your best to? Did you do your best to? Mm. Number one, be happy. Number two, find meaning. Number three, build positive relationships. Number four, set clear goals. Number five, make progress toward achieving your goals. And number six, be fully engaged. And each one begins with, did you do your best to? See, that's the one thing you can't blame the company for. Did you do your best? Doesn't say the company did anything. It just says, did you do your best? Just by asking people these six questions, the results have been amazing. 30% of the people two weeks later say, I got better at everything. 60% 60% say I got better on at least four out of six. 86% say I got better on at least one out of six. 14% said no change, and nobody got worse. Now when I say nobody, it's 0. 0.2 percentile or something, 0.2%, but roughly nobody got worse. It's an amazing positive impact. Just getting people to think about themselves and what they can do to make a positive difference, as opposed to being a victim or waiting for someone to take care of them. Yeah, I guess... I guess kind of roundabout to the initial part of my question, it just seems like from my perspective when I look at these these surveys, these evaluations, it isn't so much like you said about looking at ourselves as leaders. And then the other part of it is right. I don't I don't see a lot of emphasis. There is a small – I mean you look at the survey that I participated in last year and there's you know 130 questions and probably 10 of them deal with the, ac- the actual leadership of the individuals. And I just think that kind right, of misses, right. misses the mark, in my opinion. I don't yeah, see, I agree. I don't see a lot of leadership development going on. And, again, with all your exposure, with the 150 companies, do you still see that as a prevalent problem? Or I mean, it is all about the individual. It is all about the leadership. And from the, the company. Yeah. Some companies, some companies, yes. Some companies, no. Some companies are doing a great job. Some aren't. Companies that do the best job in leadership development, though, build an ongoing follow-up dialogue, and it's not just a one-time event. Yeah. One thing I'm curious to hear from you with 
and I know you've written a couple articles on this, but I, and I've asked this on a, on a few of these interviews, is one of the biggest challenges, especially with, say, folks in the middle and on downward, is if they don't see the ideal leadership at the top, they don't feel like they have the power to influence, but uh, I argue that they do. How does someone that's in the middle that's stuck, that doesn't necessarily like where the leadership is going, wants to influence? How can we influence the key decision makers? Well, Peter Drucker taught me a wonderful lesson on this, that if people just understand this lesson, number one, they're going to be better at influencing others, and two, they're going to have a happy rest of their lives. The lesson is quite simple. Every decision in the world is made by the person who has the power to make the decision. Make peace with it. Not the best person or the right person or fair person or logical person or a good person. Every decision is made by that person. If you need to influence that person and that person is the decision maker, that person is the customer and you're a salesperson. Yeah. It is not, it's not their job to buy, it's your job to sell. You sell what you can sell and you make peace with what you can't sell. If you can change it, change it. Can't change it, make peace. If you're asked to do something immoral, illegal, or unethical, leave. If you're not asked to do something immoral, un- illegal, or unethical, you just something you disagree with, you challenge it, you try to sell. If you can sell it, you sell it. If you can't sell it, you salute the flag and go make it work. If you get sick of going to make it work, leave the company. That's pretty simple. And but don't cut off your nose to spite your yeah. to spite your face. Don't leave don't leave till you find someplace better to go. And by the way, that doesn't mean you can't influence people from you on down anyway. Because you can still have a lot of influence over the people you manage regardless of what your boss does. Yeah, I think so. So basically you see, I'm not big on the whiners myself. Yeah. Me neither. I'm not really big on whiners or victims or poor me or isn't life awful or whatever. I mean, look, you were in the Marines. Yep. If the boss asked you to do something that didn't make sense, what'd you do? You said, excuse me, sir, here's why I don't agree with this. And That's right. They say, okay, then you get a choice. If they look at you and say, this is an order, what do you say? I say, I, you know. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You go do it. That's right. Right. Yeah, it's pretty simple. And I think, too, I, I think I see a lot of people sometimes, they put a lot of energy and focus on trying to, I think, I think you're right. The, the point of trying to sell and that the responsibility yeah. is yours to sell. I love that, that it puts the responsibility on you to make something happen. If it doesn't right. and you don't get the way, I, I do agree that you're right. Okay. What are we going to do? And you, people underestimate the about amount of influence and drive and leadership that they can influence on people at their level and below. And I wish, of course, yeah, Peter Singer, the great, uh, from MIT said, he was asked, can you achieve positive organizational change without support at the top? He said, you can achieve positive organization at any level in an organization. That's right. Mm-hmm. As long as the people above you don't just totally sabotage it. Yeah, that's right. As long as they don't sabotage it, right, you can get positive change from yourself on down. I think, too, if you look at, um, if you can force yourself to look at what are you trying to achieve, if it's a selfish need and if, and if you can kind of... Um, how do I say, divorce yourself or, or look at the bigger picture, what is for the greater good or what is the overall purpose and mission I'm trying to accomplish. I think sometimes if you if you focus too much on the decision maker, you get kind of vested in their, in kind of a personality battle maybe. I don't know. Does that make sense? I, I think if you can do... Div- you should always sell to the higher need. Yeah. You should always... You don't, you don't sell to do this because it's good for me. You sell to do this because it's good for the organization. Exactly. 
Yeah. 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 I guess you don't, you know, look at, I think in that article too, you wrote, so you strive for the big battles. Don't waste your capital on the trivia. Yeah. Don't waste, yeah. Don't waste psychological capital on trivia or, you know, little inconsequential things or especially not business things. People waste forever issues don't have anything to do with business, sports, politics, things are not going to change anyway. I've got something that's really helped me the last couple of years of my life. Before I deal with anything, I stop and breathe. And I ask myself a question. Am I willing to make a positive investment to make? Now, am I willing the investment it takes to make a positive difference on this topic? Am I willing to make that investment? Hmm. Make a positive difference? If the answer is no, take a deep breath and let it go. Put your energy on what you can change. If you can't change it, let it go. There's a lot of things in life. I'm 64 that I'm not going to be changing. It's okay. Yeah. I think it's it's great if we can get to that point. You're right. We do waste a lot of energy on things that we can't change. Yeah. Instead of focusing on what we can change. It's difficult, you know. Well, and again, I think for me, what's helped me is if you, if I can focus on what are we trying to accomplish. It isn't about me. It's not about this person. It's about the organization. If I'm not in line with what the organization's doing, then I don't sweat it. You know, either I find someplace else to go or, or I, you know. Yeah. That's right. So what's what's next hey, for one, Go ahead. Final, final question. Got time for one more? Yeah. I'm going to give you my best advice because right now our half hour is almost up. <laughs> well, what's next for Marshall well, Goldsmith? Yeah. What, where, where? Well, I'm, I'm working on a new book. I'm working on a new book right now. The new book is Tentacle Creating and Being Created. It's about how we interact with our environment. My biggest sound book, what got you here and won't get you there, is about interpersonal relations. My book, Mojo, is more about intrapersonal, the way we think about life and ourselves. This new book is about our relationship with our environment, the environment around us, and how we shape our environment and how our environment shapes us. So that's what the new book is with me. When's it coming out? Oh, next year. Next year? Yeah. I've got a book coming out with Chip Bell in a couple of three weeks, I think, called Managers as Mentors. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a fun one. I'm always doing new stuff. Man, you got... You're... All right, let me, give everybody my, let me give everybody my final advice. Go ahead. Are you ready? I'm ready. Here's my best coaching for all your listeners. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Imagine you're 95 years old and you're just getting ready to die. But right before... You take that last breath, you're given a wonderful gift. The ability to go back in time and talk to the person that's listening to me right now. The ability to help this person be a better leader. Much more important, the ability to help this person have a better life. What advice would the wise 95-year-old you, who knows what was really important in life and what was and what matters and what doesn't, have for you that's listening to me right now? Well, answer two questions in your mind. Number one is professional advice. That old person wants to be a great leader, but professional advice would that person have for you? And number two, personal advice. That old person wants to have a great life. What personal advice would that old person have for you? Well, whatever you're thinking now, do that. In terms of performance appraisals, that's the only one that's going to matter. That old person says you did the right thing, you did the right thing, 
And that old person says, you made a mistake, you made a mistake. Some friends of mine interviewed old folks who were dying got to ask them this question. What advice would you have? On the personal side, three things. Theme number one, be happy now. Not next week, not next month, not next year. Be happy now. Uh, number two. And by the way, most people said I got so wrapped up looking at what I didn't have, I never saw what I did have, and I had just about everything. Number two is friends and family. Don't get so wrapped up with business you forget your friends and family. And number three, if you have a dream, go for it. Because if you don't when you're 35, you probably won't when you're 85. And business, business advice isn't much different. Number one, have fun. Life is short. The first person they need to see be positive and enthusiastic as a leader is you. You want them to be enthusiastic, you be enthusiastic. Number two is people. Do whatever you can to help people. And the main reason now people has nothing to do with money or status or getting ahead. The main reason now people is even more important. 95-year-old will be proud of you because you did and disappointed if you don't. And the other advice, again, go for it. Company's changing, industry's changing, do what you think is right. You may not win, but at least you tried. Old people almost never regret the risk they took and fail. They always regret the risk they did not take. And finally, I hope you and your listeners got something useful out of my last half-hour talk. Well, I started to say this talking to use leadership gold and uh, you've definitely proved that marshall thanks for coming on the show i appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule well thank you so much for asking me we'll be in touch thanks marshall thank you richard invites you to become a part of the dose of leadership community visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free common sense leadership ebook a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm confident consistent and courageous in all aspects of our lives Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.